Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all the enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 4, to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Amen. You wake up on time, feeling rested and refreshed. The day's task list is the stuff that you don't mind, maybe even some things you enjoy. The people around you are in a good mood, grateful and cooperative. Everything goes according to plan. Things are at peace. You feel at peace. That was a peaceful day. The problem with peaceful days, besides being few and far between, is that they're outside of our control. We can't make a peaceful day because we can't control our circumstances. Oh, we try. We'll make relaxing plans, temporarily outsource our responsibilities, But we can't control what happens next. And we can't control other people. Sometimes our efforts at peaceful work. And sometimes they don't. As the Psalms start to unpack the blessedness of life with God, peace becomes the dominant theme. The godly long for and have confidence in a future time when sin and curse are no more, and peaceful is the order of the day, every day. But in this life, in the days that are before us now, the target is not actually peaceful, but rather peace-filled. And the difference 
is significant. Having walked through the Psalms 1 and 2 entrance gate, Psalm 3 is the first of five psalms relating to times of trouble. The way of the righteous, we quickly learn, is not one of peaceful circumstances. The title in Hebrew uses the term mizmor for the first time. That's the word we translate psalm. It tells us that this text was intended to be sung. It's also the first of 73 that will be labeled of David. But the genre of this song of David is lament. The speaker is in physical danger. There are many foes rising against him. It's quite a contrast from Psalm 2. There, God's king was anointed and established on his throne. God laughed at the efforts of the wicked to cast off his king. And here, King David's foes appear to have at least a chance at success. Psalm 2 told us this would happen. Rulers and nations would seek to defy God and his anointed king, and Psalm 3, in the title, tells us that it has happened. When he fled from Absalom, his son. Scripture gives us the details of this event in 2 Samuel 15 and 16, that while David was king, his son Absalom went on a PR campaign to try and turn more and more people against him. He led the people to revolt against David and to attempt by force to install Absalom on the throne instead. David was caught completely by surprise. He had been betrayed by those closest to him. And all he could do was flee Jerusalem quickly with the few who had stayed loyal to him. When David says in verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? He's not being dramatic. He's not being allegorical. He's counting. There's a lot of them. And the hits, they just keep on coming. Psalm 4 also begins with lament, whereas the language of Psalm 3 is filled with military imagery aligned with threats of physical danger. The problems in Psalm 4 are more rather domestic. The people are saying, who will show us some good? And in verse 7, we see that good for them means grain and wine. The context is likely that drought has led to famine. Israel didn't have a lot of extra water, and rain and dew are what made the difference between times of plenty and times of want. And in these ancient monarchies, it was the king who was responsible, not for the rain itself. The people knew he couldn't do that. But the king was responsible for praying for rain, for leading the people to pray for rain, and for overall appeasing the gods to make sure that there was rain. A crisis at the farm resulted in a crisis in the palace. When there's no rain, people lost confidence in their king, and they began to doubt his favor with God. If God wouldn't answer the king's prayer, they reasoned, something was wrong with the king. Maybe they needed a better one. The threat to David in Psalm 4 is not a mutinous son and military. It's verse 2, his honoring being turned to shame. The people loving vain words rather or loving vain words and seeking after lies. 
That means, you see, they weren't just slandering David and looking for a better king. They were also slandering God and looking for a more effective deity. They were going to try out the gods of the nations and see if they could bring them some rain. If Yahweh couldn't provide them with some peaceful days, maybe another deity could. Most of our time this morning will be spent unpacking the offer of these two psalms to have peace-filled lives with or without peaceful circumstances. But for a moment, I, I want to call attention to just how much wisdom there is in David's approach to the distressful situation of Psalm 4. He starts upward before speaking outward. That alone is a great lesson for us, that the audience of verse 1 is God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And only after David has sought God and communion with God does he then go and approach his fellow man with admonition and encouragement. In that first conversation, you'll notice that he remembers God's faithfulness. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. David is going to use the memories as fuel for hope in what God will do next. David's remembrance of what God has done in the past is going to motivate him to have hope in what God will do in the future. Even that title he uses, O God of my righteousness, that's not used anywhere else in scripture, but it's perfectly placed here. Because the people are thinking about Yahweh as if he's like the false gods, just fickle. They, the false gods, would send rain based on their whims. They would provide for the people if they were pleased enough with the people's behavior, if they had performed well enough. But that's not Yahweh. David says Yahweh is righteous. He will do what is right in all his relationships. He will keep his covenant and David knows that he belongs to God. Another pastor wrote, when you're on your knees, the fact that you are set apart as God's particular treasure should give you courage and inspire you with fervency and faith. That's exactly what happens to David. He remembers the rightness of God, the righteousness of God, and it strengthens his spine. That doesn't mean his day feels peaceful. He feels in danger. He feels distress. He feels like his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Even so, he implores God to hear him and to answer him. When his circumstances lack peace, David turns to the God of all peace. Another teacher commends David's appeal in these two Psalms as being both honest and and balanced. And those are good guideposts for us. David's appeals are honest because he tells it like it is. That's the advantage of bringing things before God. God knows the situation perfectly anyway, so you don't need to pretend. With other people, we try to keep up appearances. We pretend that we're less affected by our circumstances than we really are. With God, David just tells the truth. He, he lays bare before God how the circumstances are impacting him. The teacher also says that the appeals are balanced. 
Because David asks for relief based on God's righteousness and not his own. Yes, David is the victim of injustice, even painful betrayal in this case. And David will not hesitate to plead his innocence when the accusations are false. But David doesn't ground his confidence in relief in David's own behavior. David grounds his hope for relief in God's righteousness and faithfulness. He's accusing sinners of sin while knowing that he's a sinner dependent solely on God's righteousness too. And having approached God in this humble posture, honest and balanced, now David is ready to talk to the people. He challenges their rebellion because by opposing God's anointed king, they are opposing God himself. He's watching the people turn away from him and from God to see if someone will give them more peaceful circumstances. He corrects their sin and David gives them the way forward from their sin. Repent, offer true worship, and reorganize your priorities. That's the sermon buried in Psalm 4. In verse 3, the word godly is an appeal for loyalty to God and his covenant. The realization that they've abandoned God for idols should make them afraid. Verse 4's be angry is a word more related to trembling than being mad. They should be shaking with fear that they've walked away from God. And David says, turn back to God. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in in the Lord. Stop looking for peace in grain and wine instead of seeking the blessing that is the light of God's face upon you. Another guy preached this well. He said, no food, no amount of money, no clothes, no car, no house, no retirement package, no vacation, no travel destination can possibly compare with the overwhelming glory of seeing God's face. That's that great expression, quorum Deo, the idea that Christians get to live all of life before the face of God. Kids, that doesn't mean that God is staring down on us, waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can smack us down. It means that the blessing of his face, the radiant glory and love of God's own person is ever reflecting and shining on us. Unlike in Psalm 3, where David used military language, asking God to strike and break the wicked, here he urges God's enemies to repent, to turn to the faithful and righteous God who will restore and bless them. He invites them into the way of blessedness. And David, spending the time before God and, and, and orchestrating that careful and truthful appeal worked. I mean, I don't know if it worked on the wicked. The text doesn't tell us that at all. But it worked on David. <laughs> because what started out in Psalm 4 as a psalm of lament has morphed into a psalm of confidence. Appealing to his enemies about the righteousness of God, prepping his soul and his person to call them to greater faith. 
help David to remember the righteousness of God and to walk more firmly in faith himself. Psalms 3 and 4, each and together, present this peace-filled life with or without peaceful circumstances. Actually, definitely without in these cases. These psalms are circumstantially filled with distress. And David's not dealing with trivial inconveniences either. Some of you know what it is to be betrayed by someone closest to you. All of us know at least a hint of that pain. David's own son led the uprising against him. And you know what it is to feel overwhelmed. There's a story from the Battle of Antietam in Sharpsburg where one of the military commanders asked a young soldier to climb up a tall tree as the enemy was approaching and to count the number of company flags so that he could estimate how many troops were headed his way. And the young man climbed up and he said, oh, there's oceans of them. And the commander said, well, count them. He said, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 26, 27, 30, 39. The commander cut him off and said, that will do. Come down, sir. Try as he might, David couldn't count all of his foes either. Also, David's dealing with the experience of wondering if God is even hearing or even plans to answer his prayers. Look back at Psalm 3, verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. One of the accusations people were making was that God had forsaken David and that David no longer had access to his blessing. They're trying to undermine David's confidence by telling him that God would not help him. One man preached, it is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for me in God. You know what it is to feel like your prayers aren't being answered. It's quite the opposite of peaceful. You ask and you ask, and God, perhaps saying no or not yet, appears to us to be saying nothing at all. C.S. Lewis described praying for his wife to be healed from cancer. He described the feeling of knocking on the doors of heaven until his knuckles were bloody raw. And he described then examining the door to find it double bolted. Maybe, though, David was right to feel this way. He's not innocent. Perhaps in his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he had forever separated himself from the presence and blessing of God. Can't your sin make you feel that way sometimes? As the accusations come in from David's enemy and from his own family, can't you see him wondering the same? He really did blow it. But that's not what happens when he actually prays. When he actually approaches God in appeal and in faith, that feeling is taken away. Because peace-filled does not require peaceful. One of the reformers observed that after David had humbled himself before God, he took courage 
And being well assured of having obtained forgiveness, he was fully persuaded that God was on his side. Brothers and sisters, what identifies you as a godly man or woman is not that you have a certain measure of sin or less. It's the presence of repentance. None of us is perfectly innocent, but through repentance, we are all perfectly accepted in Christ. The distressing circumstances in Psalms 3 and 4 are and represent different kinds of hardship. But David's experience of them is the same. It's represented by these bookending verses. Psalm 3 verse 5 and Psalm 4 verse 8. Those are the bookends. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We've prayed a lot for sleep in the life of our church, haven't we? And sleep is important. We should pray for it. Sleep is a a picture of peace. And the ability to sleep well is a strong indicator of the presence of peace. That's why worry is the enemy of sleep. You've had those nights laying awake in your bed, unable to sleep because your anxious mind won't allow it. But David, even in these circumstances, can sleep. He speaks of peace at both ends of the day. Psalm 3 is often called a morning prayer because David is speaking after he woke again. Sustained overnight by the Lord, despite the presence of real danger. Psalm 4 is described as an evening psalm because David is pre-sleep. He says, I will lie down and sleep. Beautiful evidence, another wrote, that David was resting in God's promises. The whole day is an opportunity for peace, even if the day is filled with distress. With all that's happening in David's life, and he's very honest about it, life within the blessedness of God gives him peace to sleep. I like how in Psalm 4 he emphasizes both lie down and sleep. Neither is easy. David can lie down and close his eyes He doesn't have to keep watch on all that's happening around him at every moment because he trusts God. And because he trusts God, when he lies down and closes his eyes, he can also sleep. The great Baptist pastor Spurgeon called it the sleep of holy confidence. It's also... Remembering what we discussed before about David's sin and repentance, it's also the sleep of a quiet conscience. You know, guilt and shame will keep us up too. There's no rest in them. Many today stay up late every night. And they'll give all kinds of reasons for this, and I'm sure some in part are true. But I'll tell you this. At least in part, those who hate to go to sleep, 
do so because they hate the thoughts that come to them in the quiet moments that they're trying for it. Unburdening ourselves of guilt and shame through repentance offers a different soundtrack for our twilight hours. David's circumstances are distressful, but not distressing. His day is not peaceful, but it is peace-filled. And so he goes to bed, handing over all his concerns to a faithful God. And he slept. And he woke up, trusting God with the day that lies in front of him as well. What a way to live. I said before that these psalms, and specifically Psalm 4, start as laments, but turn out to be psalms of confidence. Isn't that what a peace-filled day requires? In Psalm 3, David describes God as his shield, and the word that's used here is the kind of shield that goes all around you. It's a shield and a buckler. It offers complete protection. It's a shield not just for the attacks that come from straight on, God, I read, wards off the fiery darts of Satan from beneath and the storms of trials from above and speaks peace to the tempest within. The ungodly, David warned, should tremble in fear before God without repentance. But with God as his shield, David stands firm. Actually, this is a psalm. David sings before his enemies. He doesn't just stand firm. 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. He sings in the presence of his foes. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If we know this is true spiritually, why would it be any less true circumstantially? Whether or not David is going to be saved from these circumstances, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So why be anxious about it? The way of blessedness is not a way free from distress. And in that distress, sometimes God delivers his people from the physical and temporary harms. And sometimes God does not. Absalom will not succeed in the murder of his father. Peter, in Acts 12, will be rescued from prison. You can point to times in your life where God has delivered you from some of the pain that seemed otherwise inevitable. But David will not be delivered from every danger. Before Peter was freed, James was martyred. And what about Jesus, the greater David? Where was the promise to him that life would be free from distress? Of course, you know, that was never the promise. The promise to David here and to Christ and to all who follow is that we will lie down, sleep, and wake up again. Another explains that David's lying down, sleeping, and waking again points forward to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The beautiful expression is meant to teach us that death is no more permanent than sleep. God wakes his people from death like we wake our children in the morning. 
Therefore, God may not save you from shame and death like he saved David here. You may be hard-pressed. People may turn against you. You might lose your job or your life. Those closest to you, your own spouse or children may hurt you. But he will save you through shame and death like he saved Christ. The promise of the gospel is that you will lie down, sleep, and wake up again. For the Lord will sustain you. The wicked of Psalm 4 are looking for something so much less. They're looking for peaceful days, for grain and wine. But daily intimacy with God allows you as many peace-filled days as you would like to have in the years God gives you on this earth. 4.6 is a reference to the great benediction. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Your life will not be free from distress, but every day can be filled with peace that comes from complete confidence in God, from living before the blessing of his face. That's the invitation of these Psalms. One ancient scholar called it a life given over to somnity. He said, that life is found to be the same at night as in the day. The same in bed as at prayer. The same alone as when surrounded by a crowd of people. That life sees nothing in private it would be embarrassed for others to see. That life doesn't want anything detected by the omnipresent eye of God that would be concealed from human sight. For the life given over to somnity, the night once so utterly fearsome, is the same as day. If you have confidence in the promises of God, it's all the same. The nations and rulers plotting against the Lord and his anointed try to turn God's word upside down. And they can make life for all of us a painful mess. Our sin can make quite a mess as well. But approaching God in prayer with honesty and balance as David did offers a kind of confidence that can turn things right side up again. So that even when we are troubled on every side, we need not be distressed. When we appear to be dying, yet we may live. There's a great way of faithfulness that comes before us, going back to David and even before. And in that line, people turn to him in their distress. That's what the godly do. They know that salvation belongs to God and that he alone can make us dwell in safety. Don't waste your time wishing for a life that is peaceful. With these psalms, instead, pray for confidence in God that prepares you for distress. Remember his character. Equip yourself with him as your shield so that then your days may be hard, but your confidence in him makes them also peace-filled. And you can lie down. And you can sleep 
and you can rise up again for the light of God's face is upon you.